Hi, and welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hello, welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm here today with Victoria Robinson. I'm super excited to hear her story. What she's doing, I think, is incredible and very personal to me. Uh, she is a pro-life leader, an author, and the creator, founder of the Reassemble Ministry for After Abortion Trauma. So how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Courtney. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. So could you tell me a little bit about how you got into this line of work and advocacy and what made you start this foundation? I'd like to say I got involved in this work because I have such a heart for women, which I do, but I got involved in the pro-life um, world, if you will, because unfortunately for me, 35 years ago, I chose an abortion. I was a single mother with two little girls. My husband abandoned us, went from North Carolina to California. He was gone. And here I was now with a nine-month-old and a three-year-old trying to make ends meet because he didn't give any support to us at all, not financially, not emotionally, nothing. So it was, I went from being a, a mom who stayed at home with her two babies to now having to work two jobs and take care of them and putting them in daycare 12, 14 hours a day. So nine months after he left, I met someone. And nine months after that relationship, I was pregnant. Um, when I went to my boyfriend to tell him I had never thought about abortion, Courtney. It wasn't something in my vocabulary. I knew girls who had had abortions. I actually lost one friendship from a friend who had had seven, used it as birth control. So it started to infuriate me and we ended up not having a friendship anymore. Now here I was a single mother in a situation that, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? So when I told the boyfriend who we'd already talked about marriage for the future, he said, the best thing I think, you know, we need to do is you need to have an abortion. You're so early in the pregnancy. We'll have kids later. We'll get married later. You can barely take care of the kids you have. So you know what you need to do. So I was shocked. I was hurt. But I thought he's making sense. I mean, I am struggling. And these kids of mine are begging me not to leave them at six in the morning to go to daycare. And it was breaking my heart. So then I called the abortion clinic in Charlotte, North Carolina, told her my whole story from the ex-husband to the new boyfriend. And she was very compassionate, convincing me this was the best choice. You would be very selfish as a mother to bring another child into the world that you can barely take care of the two you have. So you know what you need to do. And there's nothing there anyway. You're only about six weeks pregnant. So let's get you in right away. And we'll just remove that blob of tissue and you can go on your way. You'll be fine. Lies, lies, and more lies. Wow. So from there, what was your thought processes? What was your experience like? How did you respond to and react and deal with all of that? Well, the girl, the young girl that I was um, at 20, almost 23 years old, Courtney, who walked into that abortion clinic was not the same one who walked out. Even when I was lying on the table and 
looking at the ceiling in my head, I was screaming, stop. And and I was screaming at myself, what are you doing here? How did you even get here? Um, It was over so fast. I was paralyzed with fear, to be honest. I couldn't even speak. I was so concerned about making everybody mad and um, disappointing people. And I kept hearing her voice, that woman at the abortion clinic. There's nothing there, honey. It's not anything more than a clump of cells, blob of tissue. It's like getting a tooth pulled. You can even go out tonight if you want. But as soon as the doctor was walking out of the room after he ended the life of my unborn child for $350 cash, I yelled after him and said, what was it? And I was crying and asking him if it was a boy or a girl. And he just turned around, threw his hands up and said, I don't have time for this. You're too early for me to tell. Walked out, slammed the door. I never saw him again. They took me in a recovery room, told me to take these two Tylenol and lay here for 30 minutes. Then you can leave. I got out immediately. There were women on makeshift beds on the floor in this room. It was packed with women. Saturday were their kill days. So all the women there had just had the same abortion, had just had abortions and they were wailing. They were crying. Some looked like they were in shock. I just had to get out. So I knew when I got on the elevator, I dropped to my knees and just sobbed. Then I had to pull myself together, Courtney, because I had to drive home to two little girls waiting for me with a babysitter who thought I just went to the mall and went shopping. So it changed who I was, Courtney. I never looked at myself the same. My boyfriend and I broke up um, probably within a year. If I remember correctly, it was not long after a year because it was too traumatic of an experience staying together. He was a constant reminder of what he made me do. And I was a constant reminder to him what I had done. So we both never looked at each other the same. And then I just started getting involved in abusive relationships. I thought that's what I deserved. I started smothering my two little girls because I was terrified God was going to take one of them for what I had just done. Uh, It was a very traumatic experience, but I buried it. I wasn't going to tell anybody. There was too much much, uh, guilt and shame. So I kept it to myself for 10 years until one day uh, I walked into a pregnancy center who continued to ask me for several years to start volunteering, which once again, I thought that was God's punishment. Get me at a pregnancy center so I can continually be reminded of what I'd done when every day that's all I thought about. But when I finally went to this executive director of that center, her name's Mary Hillenberg in Concord, North Carolina, I walked in her office, shut the door. And I said, I have something I need to tell you. And I told her, and I just, could hardly get the words out. And she said, well, I know. And we're going to get you in some abortion therapy, abortion recovery. And I wanted to know how she knew, but she just knew. Just like now today, I can tell many times when women are talking to me and the questions they ask and their demeanor that they've had abortions. They're just building up the courage to tell me and share that secret. It's the deepest, darkest pain The majority of women will ever go through. And I say majority, and it is to me, probably nine out of 10 women, but the pro-abortion side would, would beg to differ with that and say, no women are affected, not that many. Well, they're wrong. They should do the work I've done for 26 years. Then they can tell me they know what they're talking about. So I got an abortion recovery. It was a weekend retreat model, an eight-week study in three and a half days. I was in the very first one that they did. On that Thursday, Courtney, I showed up and said, I don't even know why I'm here. 
Mary Hillenberg said, I need to come. I don't know how you're going to help me in three and a half days for 10 years. I've been begging God to heal me and change my heart and take all this weight off of me that I've been feeling. And they just said, we're glad you're here. On Sunday, Courtney, I looked at both of them, Carolyn and Trina, and I said, every woman who's had an abortion needs to know this exists. They need to know that help is available for them. And I want you to teach me how to do what you just did. And they said, we know, and we're going to. And so they did. They mentored me and trained me. And I've been doing the same retreats now for over two decades. Wow. So can you talk a little bit about what types of things they did that were so so helpful to you? Well, first of all, they used a a book called The Forgiven and Set Free Bible Study written by Linda Cochran. Linda was an RN who had four abortions over 30 years ago uh, throughout her lifetime. And so she became a new Christian. And I want to say it was within six months she wrote this Bible study for herself. I don't think that today, because Linda has become a good friend, which is like some people want to meet some big celebrity. Linda Cochran, I I cried when I met her because her, her Bible study changed my life. So she's a hero of mine. And so she wrote the study never knowing it would become what it is today. So it is an eight-week Bible study, basically, that focuses, Courtney, on the abortion issue, all using Bible. It's, it's a Bible study. And I tell all of my clients that come through because they're not all Christians. Some are agnostic, atheists. They don't believe in anything. And when I say, listen, I'm not going to you know, try to trick you into coming to my retreats. I use a Bible study and they say, we don't care. I just don't want to feel like this anymore. And so every time that I have had someone come through the retreat, they leave a different woman on Sunday. And I mean, Courtney, every single retreat for the past 25 years, not one woman on Sunday has said, I wish I hadn't come here. Wow, that's amazing. Well, there's a lot of things that I don't want to discuss that we do. It's nothing weird, but I don't want to scare away anyone who's thinking, oh, well, you know, I don't think I, I like them to come for ready, ready to work, um, yeah. ready, prepared to just for whatever, whatever that I ask them to study, whatever we talk about. We do a lot of group sessions and then a lot of the work is done on their own. So I have two rules, Courtney, at my retreats. And when people hire me and contract me to come to do these retreats for their church or for their pregnancy resource centers across the country, my two prerequisites are one, each woman must have her own room, each participant. I don't want her in a room with strangers or sharing a room with a bunch of people she doesn't know when that's where a lot of the work takes place. That's my first rule. My second rule is I always invite a woman who has not had an abortion to be part of the group throughout the weekend to serve these women, to love on them, to be compassionate towards them. And she's got to have a heart for women who are in pain, who have been traumatized by abortion because she represents the church and how the church should have treated them. Right, right. So if there, uh, you said you, it's women of all different uh, belief systems and worldviews and spirituality. And how does the, this going through this process, since there is a Bible study involved, how does that impact them differently? Well, or 
Well, you know, Courtney, here's the thing. I'm I'm a believer. I'm a, a Jesus following believer. I am not some legalistic Christian who has lives by a set of rules. Um, I live the way I live because of my relationship with Christ. It, there's freedom in that. Some people think it's you're going to be bond in bondage if you serve Jesus, but it's it's the complete opposite. Um, so what happens in these retreats is some women are meeting God and Jesus for the first time in their life. I just had a girl at a recent one who's been in therapy for almost a decade. And she said, all the years I was in therapy with a really good counselor, I still never got what I just got in three and a half days. So here's the difference. We're using the word of God. We invite Jesus in, into the midst of it all. And these women have been prayed for for months before they even show up by the team that I have who pray for them by their first names. I never, ever reveal identities. So they will pray for them during, before, and even after these retreats. So people can say what they want, but if you don't believe that things happen in three and a half days or think it has to do with me, you are sadly mistaken. If, if, the Bible and the word of God and Jesus don't show up, I'm screwed. <laughs> so, um, and I would damage these women more if I'm not prepared mm-hmm. spiritually, mentally, in every way before they show up on that Thursday. So I take this very, very serious. So as I said, one girl at one of the very recent retreats didn't even know Jesus, didn't had not had a relationship with Christ. And mm-hmm. by the weekend, she said, and they don't all do this. A lot of them do. I don't want to scare people away thinking, oh, if I go, I got to find Jesus. No, you don't. But he might, he's, he's already found you, but um, you know, how's it working for you without him? But this girl said, I want Jesus. I can't believe what he's just done for me. She recognized it wasn't me. I'm just the vessel that he uses in these retreats. I give him all the credit. So here's another way I love to say this, Courtney. Women will say to me all the time, Drugs aren't doing it for me. Alcohol's not doing it for me. Promiscuity isn't doing it for me. All of these things that I'm going to, even even being on on antidepressants, and I'm not. T- I don't tell anyone to go off antidepressants, but they're on all kinds of medications to try to help them not feel this guilt and shame. But here's why it doesn't work. When we abort our children, our children had a spirit. It's only a God who can fill that hole. That's empty and left open when we have abortions. So only a spiritual God can fill that place of pain. So that's why I say that's why it works because we're using the word of God, the Bible. Look, there are inspirational speakers all over the world, Courtney, and they think they've made this crap up. They all got it from the Bible. I mean, even these people who don't profess to be Christians, they'll read something and I'm going, you know where they got that, right? No, where? They got it from the Bible. So it's not something new. The Bible study of forgiven and set free is literally setting women free. And I got to tell you, if somebody doesn't believe in Jesus or God, if you could be a fly on the wall or be there watching what happens with the transformation of these women, if you don't believe, then it's a waste of my time to even mention his name around you. (laughs) Wow. So I'm curious about, because I think in our culture, especially today, you know, you were saying how they told you it's just a lump of cells, right? That's a very common line that we hear. We hear that ironically, I don't know if you're familiar with the ectolife pods that they're doing now. 
I don't think so. Okay, they're creating these artificial wounds. And oh, yes, I saw something right? about that. You know, when I see that stuff, I'm like, oh, God, and I just, uh, I know probably I should catch up, but I don't, I, they're, these people are insane. <laughs> they are. They are. Uh, so not to worry. You don't need to know. But, but the cliff knows that they're creating these. Uh, it's called ectolife pods and they're creating these artificial wounds. And ironically, they are saying it's to counter the underpopulation problem. You know, they keep telling us how overpopulated we are. But but this is to serve the underpopulated. I don't know how they make sense of this, but that, yeah. that's what they're telling us. Uh, but the reason I bring it up is because they talk about how these are babies. It's life. But when it's inside a a woman, then it, it's a clump of cells and it, it is not life yet. It's a clump of cells, a blob of tissue, unless the woman says, I want the baby. When abortion is involved, it's a clump of cells. Not It's not real human being. They, then they disregard science, which has proven at the moment of conception, we're each unique human beings with our own DNA. But if it's abortion is involved... Oh, no, it's nothing. There's nothing there. When a girl's pregnant, my daughter just told us she's pregnant with her fifth child. My 11th grandchild is on the way, Courtney. Congratulations. Exactly. So when people are saying to me now or her now, congratulations on the baby, they're not saying congratulations on the clump of cells. So you know what? It's so interesting to me, though, that if you're a woman who's, well, I'm pro-choice, well, then you know what? All it is is a clump of cells or a blob of tissue. It's like having a tumor removed. They they practice the terminology they use in the abortion industry, which is a multi-billion dollar industry. People need to understand that. It is big business, and it's bad for their business for people to find out the truth. So when women like me speak out, they don't like it. And more women and men are going to start speaking out because healed people want to speak out. Healed people want to help others not make the same mistake they made. If you're a smoker or you're on drugs and it has destroyed your life, you're going to be someone after you have um, given that habit up to say, you don't want to walk this road. Let me tell you what happened to me. It's the same thing with the abortion um, issue. That's why I speak out. I'm determined, Courtney, that my child did not die in vain by helping others to understand that because my baby died, thousands are alive today because I've spoken out and women have not chosen abortion. They've told me over the two year, my almost three decade career, I was going to have an abortion. And then one of your videos popped up. I was going to have an abortion and told me that somebody told me to read your book. That's why I decided to speak out. Number one, I knew God mandated me to do so. It wasn't the easiest thing to do. That's the one secret most people don't want to talk about. A lot of the testimonies I get from women who go through my reassemble retreats, and it's fine. They don't show their face. You can only hear their voice. And I've told my donors, if you want to see their face, then don't give me your check. Don't support my ministry because I will not ever reveal their identity. That is their story to tell. But their testimonies are so powerful as to what happened. One girl just this last week said, I felt like I had no oxygen mask on and I was going down in a plane that was crashing before I came to your retreat. Now I feel like I'm wearing an oxygen mask so I can help other people. She said she went and saw her therapist last week after the retreat. And he said, what happened to you? And she told him, I'm forgiven and set free. I can't wait to tell you what happened to me. He goes, how did this happen? And here's what she said. For the first time in my life, I opened my Bible. 
Bam. That is awesome to me. She opened her Bible. And that's what we do at Reassemble Retreats. So there are some people who would say, oh, well, oh, it's one of those Christian things. No, it's one of those God things. So you can keep walking around feeling the way you feel, miss, which that breaks my heart for you. Or you can say, why not give it a shot? What could it hurt? Mm -hmm. Right, right. So I I, I was telling you before, and maybe I'll just share this first, because I think I do think that this is a conversation that because there's been so many narratives surrounding it. And I think that it is something that requires compassion because on both sides, really, I I obviously have my stance. I I obviously you do as well. But I think that because people have been told so many stories about uh, and that have influenced what they believe and that they're and they're very passionate about it they're very wed to it and the it really is a story about life and i think that's the crux of it so just for, i think most of the audience does know but i'm just going to share my personal story uh, and why i think this really is a story about life and i think it is a story that um it is nuanced for people so again, I have my stance, you know, and I, I'm, I'm aligned with you on this, but I, I really do have a, a, some compassion for people who may not see it this way. And I, I want people to understand why this is about life. So for me, you know, I the, the story goes that my mom was sick during first trimester of pregnancy. And so she had a titer tested to see whether or not I would be afflicted. Titer was read as being 112, but it was really 121 meaning that I was afflicted. If if it had been 112, I wouldn't have been fine. But so the doctor was dyslexic. He read it backwards. When I was born, yeah. So when I was born, the hospital was covering up for the doctor because they knew he was dyslexic, that he had read the titer incorrectly. Had he read the titer correctly, my mom would have had an abortion. So we finally found, uh, I'm going to give the cliff note versions of the story just for the sake of time. But essentially, when we discovered that I had a cataract in my left eye, uh, they did a cataract removal. And when they did that, they left debris behind the retina. They had to do what's called a retinal cleanup. And in that process, when they went back to do the retinal cleanup, they found rubella pigmentation behind my sighted eye and determined that I was born with congenital rubella. So that rendered me with several complications. I was born blind in one eye, uh, hearing impaired. I didn't get hearing aids, so I was almost six years old. I learned how to speak by reading lips. I had heart surgery when I was a year old. I was born with hypotonic limbs. So for those who are not familiar with the term, that's the opposite of hypertrophy where the muscles build in the gym. They were not developing. Uh, fine graphic motor impairment, asymmetrical bone development, stunted growth. They told my mom, essentially, the best she could hope was to find a nice institution for me to spend my life. Wow. We'll fast forward. My parents did sue for my birth. And just to, you know, preface this, like my my parents and I have a wonderful relationship. I never for a minute doubt that they love me or that they are grateful to have had me. Uh, But they knew that there were going to be some, you know, medical uh, complications that I would deal with for the rest of my life and that I still do. You know, I still am significantly hearing impaired. I am, you know, visually impaired and uh, see monocularly. 
you know, so there are things that I will deal with for the rest of my life. And they knew that. So that that's really it was more of a legal angle than anything. But it was called the wrongful birth case. So essentially, they were suing for my birth because the alternative would have been to abort me. So, of course, I have very strong feelings just yeah, sure. not to have an emotion tied to some of this because I personally am really grateful this doctor made a mistake. Yes. Uh, I am grateful to be here. I am grateful for the miracle of life. We have one in 400 trillion chance of being born, according to several scientists. And they're now starting to say that it's one in four quadrillion chance of being born. So that is truly miraculous for any yeah. human to come to be. And I, I don't take that lightly at all. I think that we each and every one of us is a walking miracle. We are all endowed with unique strengths and gifts and uh, that is incumbent upon us to hone those and to use them to, to harness them so that we can be of contribution to the world. And uh, that creates kind of an ecosystem. So I, that's very much my perspective on life. But I think having having known that backstory about me personally, my view on abortion is uh, very. I it, I have a very kind of unique perspective on it, just because I see it as that it was that one mistake that could mean the difference between my being here and not. You know what I find interesting, Courtney, that a doctor with a disability, God used a doctor with a disability to keep your parents from aborting their daughter with a disability. It, yeah. And you know that it's not an accident. I'm very glad he read that wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, what's unfortunate is I hear the, also the horror stories of parents being told that same thing, different issues with their children, encouraging them to abort. Right. I can't tell you the hundreds of thousands of cases that are out there, Courtney, where these women refuse abortion have their children and they're perfectly healthy. So I knew that happens more than people realize. So thank God the doctor was wrong. And what people should realize is they're wrong a lot. Yes, I hear that as well. There's lots of cases where they tell them they're going to have X, Y, and Z complication and they're born perfectly healthy, perfectly fine. So, you know, the conversation I've had, and I've had this conversation with my mom, you know, and she's like, you were very fortunate. Many, you know, that uh, they, I, I'm considered a congenital rubella case. I mean, that's just the diagnosis and we can go down, you know, a long rabbit hole on that. But, you know, for the sake of uh, this conversation, that's, you know, what they labeled it. And many that they've labeled with that diagnosis are much worse off than I am. I, I recognize that I was very, very fortunate and that I had a family that had the, you know, the bandwidth, the resources to yeah. do all they could for me. And in that regard, I was very, very fortunate. And lots of people are not. They may not have either the financial, the uh, intellectual, the time, you know, there's many resources needed to deal with uh, those types of complications. And I do recognize that. But there's other ways to handle it. I, you know, I, I have some very, very close friends who were adopted and who are given a wonderful life to people who were not able to conceive and who wanted nothing more than to be able to 
have a life to nurture, to to raise and to cherish and bring into their families. So, you know, that's a win-win, I think, on all sides uh, in that regard. And I, rec- I, I, I only bring this up just to say uh, that I do recognize that there are unique circumstances for people and things are not black and white. And I, I do want to have compassion for people who are having difficulty seeing this side of it, seeing the side of, you know, bringing life into this world as not anything but a miracle. And and I have compassion for them, but they are, they're speaking out of ignorance um, because what they don't understand is the, the parents that I have met who did have abortions, even with children who were very disabled and very, um, once they saw them, it was true. The diagnosis was correct. Um, or those who I've known many, many people who knew their child would die not long after birth. Right now, my daughter, one of her best friends, they had a child that they said will not last a week. He just celebrated two months yesterday. They know their time with him is limited, but they love him. They're so happy to have him. So what I think it, what breaks my heart is people, the reason I'm so passionate. And all lives matter to me, Courtney, all lives. I don't care how short their lives are going to be, what deformity, it doesn't matter. All lives matter. What people do not understand who are so adamant about abortion, what about for this, this, and this, is that what happens to that mother and that father, even if the child comes out severely deformed or handicapped, the mental health issues they're going to face are going to cost much more than had they had that child. So that's what people don't get. When a child's aborted as a Christian or or a child dies in any in, in any age stage of life, they're immediately with Christ. They're immediately in the hands of, of in heaven with Jesus. That is my belief. I believe it. No one will ever tell me different. Those parents are the ones left behind, Courtney, to deal with the ramifications if they choose abortion. And it's not pretty. There are people who the, the the suicide rates are higher amongst women who've had abortions. The alcoholism, promiscuity, drug abuse. Um, there's a lit workaholics for men, commitment issues for men, um, numbness that these people feel. It is not worth abortion. So when women have said they're telling me to abort Vic because I'm going to have this baby, and it's why would I want to look at it and see it and then it just dies. They have not ever said to me, I wish I'd killed my baby, even though she died within hours of birth. They're so thankful they made that choice because they don't have to live with it. And so when I say to pro-choice people is, listen, I'm more pro-choice than you are. They're like, how's that? I said, because the abortion industry and the pro-choice side gives people one option. I want to sit down with women and men and tell them the truth about how an abortion can affect the rest of their life. I want to talk to them about a parenting plan. I want to talk to them about adoption, which is a beautiful thing. The most sacrificial thing a woman could ever do is place her child up for adoption. But it's the most beautiful thing. Let's talk about options and let her make an intelligent, informed decision rather than there's nothing there. It's not going to affect you in any way. Just get rid of it. It's not going to hurt you at all. It's all lies. So I'm more pro-choice than you are because I at least want her to have true choices. You just want to give her one. And I'm going to fight till the day I'm dead to make sure women understand you don't have to choose abortion. There are other options available. Will some women still walk into abortion clinics? Yes, they will. And will I still take their call, Courtney, and put them in a retreat? You're darn right I will. 
Yeah. I'm not going to tell her. I tried to tell you because I have many that call me afterwards. Why didn't I listen to you? I want my baby back, Victoria. Get me my baby back. I say, I can't get you your baby back. But what I can try to do is when you're ready, help you get a little bit of joy back. But there's nothing more that I can do about your, your abortion. I don't say, yeah, I did tell you. I did try. Um, because they don't need to hear it. Because at that point, it doesn't matter. They already know it. So that's what I wish people that are so pro-choice would understand. Well, you really, really care about the woman? Pro-abortion. Pro-abortion. Pro, pro yeah. Understand. Exactly. You know, that that do you really care about women? Do you really care about her? And when you ask them that, they say, yes. What else are they going to say? Well, then why are you so against me just wanting to educate her on all her options? That's all I'm trying to do. I've met with women in my almost three-decade career who have not chosen to parent or to carry, that have chosen abortion. I don't judge them or condemn them. How could I? I'd be judging and condemning myself like I already did that for 10 years. But I'm also convinced, Courtney, that there are many, I'm going to say majority, of people that are so pro-choice, pro-abortion, since that's the word they still use, pro-abortion is what they are. Yeah, yeah. That's my alarm telling me, don't forget your grandkids. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. But we have plenty of time. It's It okay. went off okay. too soon. Um, I believe, Courtney, with all my heart, that a lot of those people who are pro-choice, pro-abortion have either had an abortion in their past or someone they love and care about has had an abortion in their past. So for them to start even investigating the truth or becoming someone that we consider pro-life would mean they condemn themselves or condemn that person. I'm convinced. And with 72 roughly million abortions since Roe v. Wade, that's 144 million women who've had abortions, men who've participated. If we got 20% of those people to find healing from their abortion trauma. They're not going to be able to keep their mouths shut. And that's the army of people that's going to speak out. And that's when things are going to change. So I'm convinced abortion recovery is the backdoor approach to ending abortion. Just like the lawsuits against smoking. Look at smoking today. We don't smoke in restaurants, airplanes. We don't smoke at shopping malls. It used to be everywhere. Not anymore because of education, because we now know how smoking can damage your lungs and kill you, even secondhand smoke. So let's attribute that to the abortion issue. When we get the word out how damaging abortion is and how damaging it is to those who who, uh, participated with you, maybe it wasn't the boyfriend or the husband, but your mother who told you that was for the best. I had a girl just yesterday say, Can I come to one of your retreats if I'm living with the guilt of stealing money from my mom's purse to pay for my best friend's abortion when she was 16? And now this girl is 32. There are a lot of people hurting and they may not have even been the one who laid on the table. Wow. Yeah, that's so powerful. I do want to address uh, the men in this because I think they've been very much left out of the conversation. Uh, yeah. But before we do that, I, I want to talk a little bit about the roots of this, because I think we're seeing a lot of the same, uh, you know, worldviews and philosophies 
behind, that were behind the abortion movement. We're seeing them surface today in other in other areas like the climate narratives, the climate right, the, the environmental green energy narratives, and uh, certainly some of the other uh, policies they're trying to implement, like the uh, right along the lines of the Great Reset and the. Uh, the 15 minute cities, a lot of this stems from, you know, a Malthusian or a uh, eugenics type of uh, philosophy. And a lot of people don't realize that that is what was behind the abortion movement. And one of the one actually very personal to me, one of the main uh, narratives they used was that, you know, the people who are going to be born with disabilities were should not be born and would be a burden to society. So I want to talk to hear a little bit of your thoughts on, you know, the the genesis of this movement and the lies behind it. Roe herself, right, what claimed to have been raped and it was completely fabricated. And we now know this. This has come to the forefront of mainstream media today. So yeah, what's interesting for for people that they don't understand because nobody everybody's too lazy to do their own research. It's not that difficult, especially with the internet today, but they don't want to because people enjoy pleading ignorance. Sure. Um once you know the truth, you can't do that anymore. Margaret Sanger who started Planned Parenthood started Planned Parenthood to get rid of certain classes of people. It wasn't just people who were disabled. She wanted to wipe out the black communities. Oh, totally. She wanted to wipe out the Mexican communities, anybody who wasn't Anglican white. Yeah. I mean, she's the Nazi. Hey, I only use that reference just because that, that was my personal. But yes, she's the Hitler course. of our generation. And there have been many who've come with her or that were partnered with her. So that's one of the things that Planned Parenthood, if you've noticed, has started to shy away from putting Margaret Sanger on a pedestal. They still do. She's their hero. And by the way, Margaret Sanger was affiliated with Gates' father, right? They started she Planned was. Yes, she yeah. was. And the woman was a devil. I mean, go look it up. Go. You don't believe what I say about the things that came out of that woman's mouth. There's videos on YouTube. Go watch them. Do your due diligence. Stop walking around like an idiot, like a fool who doesn't want to know the truth. The Bible says without knowledge, my people will perish. Look around. I mean, it's it, it blows my mind that my 13-year-old granddaughter knows more than some of these uh, adults walking around and college-age students. It's it's mind-boggling. Some of the PhDs who have been the most indoctrinated know less than probably your 13-year-old granddaughter. Yes, absolutely. So um, what do I, it all, I mean, we were talking about Mar- Margaret Sanger. We're talking about this fast food mentality. You don't want it, you know, be true to yourself. You know, you need to be, you need to love yourself. You need to be true to who you are. I, I had a friend whose daughter told her off. She's a great mother because her therapist told her, go tell your mother when she did that to you, how much it hurt you. The, the mentality of the, the people today is nothing, nothing really surprising to me because I read the Bible. If people would actually read the Bible, go look in Revelations and, and you're going to be shocked and a little bit terrified to be to be honest if you're not a christian to what you read that is happening today yeah so we've got worship of self I mean, there's so much worship of who I am. It's all about me. I'm not going to do that because I don't feel like it. From jobs, you can't get people to work anymore. We have no people with no ethics. They're going to jobs. They're stealing. You don't have good customer service. I mean, people can think, well, that's silly. No, it isn't. I remember when the customer was always right. And you treat the customer like a human. You go now and ask, hey, how much is this? Can't you see that on the tag? I mean, it's like, oh, sorry. 
the yeah. whole mentalities are shifting. Job. <laughs> yeah, paradigms have shifted because of we have devalued life, Courtney. Yes. In this country, to the point that we're killing babies up to the age of the day before they're born, and now California has this afterbirth. That's right. what just got passed in California. There will be no questions asked after 28 days after birth if a child dies, basically giving you a license to kill. Well, it, I'm just tired. That that oh, I can't stand the crying all night. Oh, my baby has a cleft palate. I didn't know my baby was going to have X, Y, Z. I don't want it. This is what's happening today. Now, I want to encourage people because I am also seeing more young people, Courtney, stand up for life today than ever. And I believe it's because this generation cannot deny life in the womb. They've seen their little brothers and sisters in an ultrasound picture on the refrigerators that are magnet on the refrigerator. Look, this is your baby brother. This is your baby sister. So they're asking more questions. So I'm speaking at more college campuses than I ever have ever in my career all over the country. And these young people are showing up. Many of them are showing up because they're ready for a fight. But what's been interesting is not any of them have had fights with me. Now, it doesn't mean some haven't come to me and said, you know, well, I'm still pro-abortion, but you gave me some things to think about. That's mm-hmm. it. That I, I appreciate you not attacking me or judging and condemning me. All I'm trying to do is get you to use your brain. I mean, <laughs> if you use your brain, you'd understand what I'm telling you. It's not Christians telling you life begins at conception, although we know that. The science has proven life begins at conception. The medical community, Courtney, has proven these babies in the in the womb feel pain in the womb. So if you think ripping arms and legs off isn't causing them pain, get your head out of the sand. I mean, why do we? Uh, why do doctors put women to sleep pregnant when they're going to do operations on the baby when they're still in utero? They don't want the child to feel pain, but it's okay with an abortion. Go watch the movie Unplanned. True story about a 13-week-old baby in utero that was being, an abortion was being performed on his mother. And the woman who wrote the book and who and the movie's about was the executive director of that Planned Parenthood in Texas. She watched this baby trying to get away from the instruments, kicking legs, kicking arms. It was feeling fear. So don't freaking tell me these babies aren't real human beings. And don't try to tell me these mothers aren't because they're going to suffer the consequences after they walk out of that abortion clinic. It may not be right away, but I just had a woman three days ago call me for help. She heard me on a radio station and she or heard a pastor on a radio talking about abortion, called the radio station, said, someone help me. 50 years ago, when she was 18, she had an abortion. She's now 68 and signed up for one of my retreats. These women are suffering for decades and decades and decades. They tell no one and it affects every area of their life. It is not natural for us to kill our children. It is not natural. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. So let's talk. We're being sold a lie, Courtney. We're being sold a lie because it's big business. They could give a crap about women's issues, about women's health, has nothing to do with that. Wake up. It's all about women, about money. It's nothing to do with helping women. I have girls calling me who are saying, I took one abortion pill and now they're telling me, I I called them and said, I don't want to take the next one. I've changed my mind. Well, too bad. Your baby's going to be deformed or dead anyway, born dead. You better take that second and third pill. 
when it's not true. There's an abortionpillreversal.com that women can go to and that they can possibly save your baby if you've taken the first pill. Not in every case, but why not? Why wouldn't the abortion clinic tell that young woman? Because they know it. Well, we can't help you, but here's a number, an 800 number you can call. Maybe they can help you. No, they don't because they don't care. They've already been paid for the abortion pill. Why not give them a shot? Because it has nothing to do with helping women and caring about women. It has to do with greed and it's wicked. I absolutely. Fired up because it pisses me off. Yeah, no, I I love the passion. I absolutely agree. I, I would push back a little bit on your comment that it's all about money because I actually think it is bigger than money. I think that they, I think I think there are people that truly feel they're doing a service to women. I do. I think no, they're I do going too. abortion clinics. They yeah. really do because I've met them, but I've also met they, hundreds. They, to me, in my opinion, they've been deceived. This is why I talk about yes. that, the narratives yes. that they've been sold and they, they really believe those narratives. And I think there are a lot of good people who there actually are. think Abortions are helping people. They think yes, abortions there are. You're you're exactly right. Yeah, no, I want to let I, me clarify I, that, Courtney, because that is true. There are good people working in abortion clinics. Um, yeah. that but once they get out, um, they're they'll talk about the how dark of a place it was. Oh, they'll yeah. talk about the oppression that's in there, and once they're out and they see the light, it. I'm telling you, there's hundreds of them talking, starting to speak out of what it was like working in these abortion clinics. But they all say through tears, I really thought I was helping people. So there's not. But but Courtney, there are also many people in abortion, in the abortion business and in those clinics who are just wicked people. They are they are like I've met them. So there are those as well. There's not just filled with a bunch of people running around wanting to help. There are those, but there are also those that are building big old houses, uh, including a lot of politicians who are in bed with these abortion and that the abortion industry, and they are pocketed their lines of their, of their pants pockets are pocketed with the money of dead children. Which is just really, really just it's completely- disgusting. It's despicable. It's abhorrent. Um, I think that there's, so I, I agree with you. I think there's the people who've been sold a lie. I, I believe they've been deceived, but they really think they're doing good. I think there are people who are very greedy. This is a very big business. There's lots of money to be made in the abortion industry. And then I think that there's another sector of people who may also be greedy and may be lining their pocketbooks, but I think they also have this shared worldview where they do see it as, you know, we've seen the Temple of Satan arguing that abortion falls under a legal sanction because of the Freedom of Religion Act of 1992, and it is considered a ritualistic sacrifice uh, for them, and so therefore they have the right to uh, an abortion. And They're actually suing Texas. Uh, I believe t- there's a lawsuit, some lawsuits in Texas from the satanic cults saying if you if a woman can't have when the heartbeat bill passed, if a woman can't have an abortion, you're you're taking away our right to sacrifice that child there. If, if, and people look at me like I'm crazy. I have two two um, heads on me. You guys need to really understand what is happening in this country. 
There are literally satanic cults getting girls pregnant on purpose to sacrifice their children as uh, to their uh, their as their sacrifice to Satan, to their God that they serve. This is happening. There are women trying to get out of satanic cults that are pregnant. I have friends in California and Pennsylvania who are working with them when they call them. They know they're the ones to call to get them out because they've seen the light. And they don't want to kill their children. So mm-hmm. this is happening. There, there, there's also politicians and high-powered people and pimps who want to get rid of the evidence of, of young women being pregnant from rape or from uh, under 18 that they're selling in sex trafficking. It's big business. I know of a girl that went through my retreat who was sex trafficked for three years, who was 15 and a half, six weeks preg- 16 weeks pregnant. Her pimp took her in the back of an abortion clinic in Texas, handed the guy some cash, they doped her up on heroin, and they aborted her 16-week baby girl. So this girl came through my retreat a couple years later, thank God, and found the healing she needed. But the stories she told would blow your mind. But nobody wants to hear this stuff because then they got to do something about it. I mean, it's insanity. Or they're complicit in letting it perpetuate. Exactly. Very hard to reconcile. It is because when we do this, Courtney... We look the other way or we play stupid, then we think we're excused. But I'm telling you, the stuff Courtney and I are talking about today is all facts. Look it up. There is so much wickedness going on in this country, all over the world today at this, at the expense of children and at the expense, not just unborn children, children. And we are doing some of, some of you are doing nothing about it. Right. Yeah. And and I, I do think what's happening in this country really needs to be discussed because we're leading the way in many regards, but it is a globally coordinated effort um, to perpetuate yeah. this. It's funny though, Courtney, some people would say, oh, that's conspiracy. You're crazy. Yeah. What a- <laughs> yeah. Okay. Our conspiracies seem to keep coming true. Well, that? Conspiracies <laughs> exist, right? And then I, you know, I said that there's a book, None Dare Call It Conspiracy. In the end of the book, they say uh, conspiracy can only exist, can only survive in the dark. And I always add, and therefore it's incumbent upon the light to shine on it to expose the conspiracy. Because conspiracies do exist, that they're, they're real, right? You look up in the dictionary, what does it mean? It means for people to get together, to conspire, to have a coordinated planned effort against something. Often they're done in secret, but yeah. that doesn't mean that they don't exist. The Where the term has become weaponized is the term conspiracy theory, but that was weaponized by the CIA in 1907 with uh, the uh, warrant the it was the countering the Warren Commission document ten uh ten thirty-five dash nine sixty and it was to avert wow. investigation into the warrant into uh JFK's assassination. Well, you know your stuff. How smart <laughs> I'm so glad that doctor was wrong, Courtney. I couldn't imagine <laughs> you not being here. Thank you. I'm sure I, you're educating a lot of people with the knowledge you have on this podcast. Can you imagine? you not being here. Well, I can't, and I've just met you. So that's the, what I wish people would get. There's not all lives matter. That BLM crap. Sorry. I, I, you know, give me a break. All lives matter. And that was another conspiracy that played out. So that's a whole nother show, Courtney, but all lives matter. And it, and when people say to me about the rape issue, Courtney, we got to cover this. And I know we don't have a whole lot more time, but People will say, well, what about rape? What about rape? Less than 1% of women who are raped get pregnant. 
And I'm not saying or taking away from that at all. Not at all. It's a horrific act. And the man should pay with his life. Should the child? Two women in my entire career, two women in almost three decades have come to me for help or to to talk to me about their rape stories. Only two. One chose abortion. She said when she realized years later, that baby was not just my rapist baby. That was my baby. But everyone was telling me, get rid of it. Get rid of it. You don't want to be reminded. She said, Victoria, I've never stopped thinking about that baby. I should have had that baby. The second woman chose adoption. And she placed her baby with a family who could not have children. And she said to me, God took the most ugly, most wicked thing in my life and turned it into something beautiful. That's how rare it is to get pregnant from a rape. I think it's because our our bodies shut down. It's a traumatic experience. It is very, not as easy as you think to get pregnant. Now, no. teenagers seem to just think about it and they're well, pregnant. It seems like a man and a woman look at each other and yes. suddenly they can be <laughs> True. like. So that's what the rape. And, and then I like to look at people. I have friends who were products of rape. I could not imagine looking at them and saying, your mom should have aborted you because of how you were conceived. They're so thankful to be alive. One of my good friends, Stephen Holland, has an incredible story. Go look him up on YouTube. An incredible, you should bring him on to talk about his story. His mother was raped by five men. She was mentally handicapped and they raped her in the home. Five men raped her. She's a white woman. It was five black men. That's who raped her. So he's mixed. He's never known who his father is. He just met his mother. I believe he was 19 years old when he met her. And she just cried and held him and said, I always loved you. I always, and the video is on YouTube. It's a beautiful story. And now Stephen shares his story everywhere. And he says, I love my life. I have a wife. I have daughters. I love my life, Vic. Can you believe people have looked at me and said, well, your mom should have been able to abort you. And they wanted her to abort. And even in her mental, the mental capacity she had, she said, you're not killing my baby. And she had her baby. So, you know what? I I just always say to those people, go find someone who's a product of rape. They're out there and they're alive. Ask them if they wish they were dead. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about men for a minute, Courtney. Yes, please. I want to make sure we do that before our interview's over. Um, So... Because that's one of the things people don't they talk about. out of the conversation. And, and they are very much impacted by it. Yeah. They are very much. And, and I start with this. After my abortion, my boyfriend and I, I told you we broke up. Right. It, it was just, we went our separate ways. But we had still a lot of the same friends. I was very grateful that for those 10 years... Um, that I hadn't seen or spoken to him. We did not ever run into each other. It wasn't like I had to see him every all the time, but I always would hear things about his life. Mm-hmm. Now I went through that retreat, like I do re- reassemble retreats. Now I went through that retreat for myself that I told you about at the beginning. And after that retreat, I felt like I was walking in full forgiveness. I'd forgiven everybody associated with my abortion because that's one of the important parts of that weekend is recognizing, first of all, that you've You've got to forgive the people involved. Doesn't mean we condone it. 
doesn't mean you got to hang out with them or be friends with them, but that unforgiveness you're holding on to is only eating at you. So after I went through the retreat, that's when I started working on my first book, They Lied to Us, which was my stories in there in full detail. And many women that I interviewed, their stories are in the book. When it was being published, I felt like he should know. Not that I identified him in the book, but I knew he'd probably hear about it. So I called him. Hey, it's me. He heard my voice and started sobbing. He knew it was me. He said, I've been waiting for this call, Vic, for over a decade to beg you for forgiveness for what I made you do. It's haunted me all these years. For eight years, I've been in therapy dealing with it. I need to know you forgive me. I should have protected you. I should have protected our child and I failed you both. Can you ever forgive me? And two things happened to me in that phone call, Courtney. Number one, I realized, hmm, little good girl that I thought I was. I hadn't fully forgiven him and I needed to for myself. So when I did and I said, yes, I forgive you, I felt instantly this weight, the rest of the weight I was carrying lifted off me. The second thing that I heard in my heart was never forget these men. They're hurting too. These children had fathers. This is not just about women. People think maybe it's weird, but I like to believe it was the voice of God whispering to me that I need to never forget that. From that moment on, I have always spoken about men. My second book, and I'm sold out of the first, but I did have this one, is They Lied to Us Too. And I show that because I hate having to always spell that. This is filled with stories from men that I've interviewed over the past six years. I have enough stories, Courtney, to do two and three um, revised editions of this book. But I kept both my books under 100 pages because I knew I had a window of opportunity to say, you're considering an abortion? Just read this book. And I give it to them. Just read it. That's all I'm asking you to do. Because if they'll read the first chapter, they'll read the second. And they could read from these men who are saying, I didn't know she was pregnant. She did it without asking me. I talked her into it. I manipulated and lied to her and said, we'll stay together, but you have to do this first. I paid for it. I drove her or I kept my mouth shut and said nothing because everyone told me it's her body, her choice. You don't get any say. And men are standing in the corners, Courtney, and they're keeping their mouth shut. And I say to men, stand up and be the men God created you to be and fight for your children. Even if she still chooses abortion, you need to know you fought for your child. But these men, whatever their scenario is, whatever their story is, are devastated by the loss of their children. Because God created women to give life, Courtney, to nurture. That's how we were made. So it's not natural for us when we realize we ended the life of our own children. Men were made differently than us. And that's a whole nother podcast because there are two genders, male and female, yeah. and we're very different. So men were made by God to be the protectors, To protect their women, to protect their children. So when they come to the realization, I participated in the death of my own child. They're just as devastating. They need to be part of the conversation because these men matter. These fathers matter just as much as these women do. So we've emasculated men for so long in this country. They don't know if they're coming or going, Courtney. They don't know what to say and not say. And I'm seeing more men stand up and say, enough is enough. That's that's telling me again, don't forget. Yes, I will let you go. But Today's my day to pick them up. But so we've got to talk about men in the issue. I've been speaking at more men's conferences, Courtney, and these men will come to my book table or they'll walk up to me and they'll say, thank you. 
Nobody's talking about us. Thank you for giving us a voice. And when I speak at churches or events, and I always talk about the men or or fundraising events, wherever I am, I always speak about the men. The same thing happens. Men and women both will come to my table to say hi and say, thank you. I've never heard someone share their abortion story. And thank you, because if you can find healing, maybe I can too. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I want to let you go and respect your time. If anything else you want to add, please do and tell everybody where they can find you, find your books, find your speaking engagements and all of that. That'd be awesome. Please go to reassemblelife.com reassemblelife.com. And as it's pretty evident why God gave me the name reassemble. I started my nonprofit only a little over a year ago, but I've been doing this work for almost three decades. I was a CEO of pregnancy centers throughout my career. And then I started reassemble over a year ago because these people are in pieces, Courtney, they're in pieces. And the Lord showed me clearly, we're going to reassemble them back together. And you know, when you put together a a vase or something and you glue it, you can still see the cracks and you can still see the scars, but it works. So that's what we do at Reassemble. We're helping to put people's lives back together. So reassemblelife.com. We need all the financial help we can get. If you're looking for a ministry to help support, we need monthly donors. The more funds coming in, the more retreats I can do. So if just consider us. Go check out my website. You can find me on Facebook, on Instagram. I got rid of Twitter during the election because I couldn't take it anymore. Um, maybe I'll go back one day. I don't know. But for now, I'm on Instagram, R Victoria Robinson. And on Facebook, Victoria Robinson, there's a blue check by my name on both. So you'll know it's me. I had nothing to do with that. They did it but I'm glad they did because I don't want somebody writing somebody that's not me asking for help with this issue. So get in touch with me. I would love to help. My books are on Amazon. Both of them, they lied to us and they lied to us too. And I'm working on another book uh, that'll probably be out in the next year or two. But thank you again for having me, Courtney. I want to help any way that I can. If you're considering an abortion, get in touch with me. We've got the resources to help you. I promise wherever you live, I will help you find the resources and the help that you need. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Courtney. Anytime. God bless you. You too. All right. Bye-bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.